Hi, and welcome to the Don't Shop on Tuesday podcast. I'm Maxwell Hope, and today we have special guest Helen Jackard from the Golden Rule Ship to talk about what the Golden Rule Ship is, their voyages, and their mission to fight for nuclear disarmament and more. So take it away, Helen. Hi, the Golden Rule was originally used in 1958. It's a sailing vessel. It's only 39 feet long. And the situation was that from 1946 to 1958, the United States used 67 nuclear weapons in the Marshall Islands. Now, if you sail out from California to Hawaii, which is about 2,000 miles, and go that far again, that's how far the Marshall Islands is from the United States. There weren't a lot of people living there, but those that were living there were being severely affected by these nuclear weapons tests. They get cancer. They've had, from the beginning, birth defects and those damaged genes are carried on from generation to generation. So there will be no end to the damage to the Marshall Islanders. So in 58, people were trying to stop this nuclear weapons testing, not just because of what it was doing to the Marshall Islanders. They didn't even know. But the problem was is that nuclear weapons testing produces elements that don't exist in nature. One of them, strontium-90, binds to calcium, so was getting into babies' teeth and milk and cow's milk and mother's milk, and people were testing their milk for radiation before giving it to their children. Wow. This was a horrible situation, and of course, we're all affected by that today. So people tried to stop the nuclear weapons testing, and they tried everything they could think of to stop it, including demonstrating in the streets and talking to Congress and the president, and they just refused. So... Four Quaker peace activists bought this little boat and they were going to sail right into the nuclear testing zone in the Marshall Islands. Well, they made it to Honolulu, resupplied and headed out. The crew was arrested and put in jail for two months. Well, this was a very well-publicized activity because everybody was trying to get the nuclear weapons testing stopped. And so... There were demonstrations in the streets all over the world to free the crew of the Golden Rule and stop the ANH bomb testing. Ultimately, this increase in anti-nuclear activity allowed President Kennedy to sign the Limited Test Ban Treaty of 1963. But that that left underground testing open to be done, and then the United States started doing underground testing in Kamchatka, Alaska, and Greenpeace got started and they said, let's do what the golden rule did. Let's get a boat and sail it right up to Alaska to stop that testing. And so they did. So this little boat in 1958 and 1971 had a huge impact. Well, the golden rule was sold in Honolulu in 1958 and didn't reappear in the public eye until 2010 when she sank in a gale in far Northern California. She was brought up into the boatyard of Leroy Zerlang, and he called up his friend, Chuck DeWitt, and said, hey, Chuck, come on over here. I want to think about using the golden rule for a bonfire. So Chuck drove the mile over to Leroy's house and pulled into the boatyard and said, okay, Leroy, what is the golden rule? And he pointed to her sorry state. Well, Eventually, they had a discussion and brought Chuck's a member of Veterans for Peace. And he brought in some of his chapter members and everybody got together and decided they wanted to restore the golden rule. 
not only the physical boat, which was a fun project for everybody, but also to restore her anti-nuclear mission. It took five years. Chuck showed up in that boatyard every day for five years. Leroy was the project manager. Chuck was the restoration coordinator. And dozens of people from around Humboldt Bay got together and bought the materials or were provided with the materials, and they rebuilt the Golden Rule. In February 2015, the call went out to finish her. So she's a lucky boat. Most rebuilds don't get completed. Over 90% are abandoned. But the Golden Rule was about to be finished, and my husband and I were traveling around in an RV. We lived in an RV from the time that I retired at the end of 2010. And so we moved our RV into the boatyard and just got started helping to finish the boat. I was a computer programmer in my former life, and I, I ended up putting a crew application form online so we could find crew for the maiden voyage. And I tested it, and I foolishly filled it out. Well, so the rest became history because I found out about a month later that the crew selection committee was thinking of, of having me as crew on the maiden voyage. I said, well, I've never even been on a sailboat what are you thinking? And I said, well, <laughs> right. You're going to be with three good sailors, but we need a public speaker. And I said, well, I've never done that either. And they said, we need you and you'll be fine. So I started being the public speaker and learned how to crew the golden rule. And here we are eight years later, and I'm still the public speaker. Well, not the public speaker, but one of them. And I'm still crewing on the Golden Rule periodically. So we took the Golden Rule down to San Diego and back, and then we took her up to Canada and back. And what we do is we port hop around and talk with people about nuclear issues today. We went to Hawaii, spent two years in Hawaii. We were going to go all the way to Japan. We wanted to go to the Marshall Islands. And so we were in Honolulu, all ready to go. And COVID hit. It was March of 2020. And we had to cancel the trip because we couldn't give public presentations. And oh, the countries were closing sense. down. Yeah. Right. So ultimately, we, we brought the Golden Rule back to California and thought about what to do next. And by that time, by the time we got back in 2021, things were starting to settle down a little bit regarding COVID. And we were able to start occasionally giving presentations if we were careful about it. So we thought about that the people that restored the golden rule really wanted to have her go to all of the navigable waters of the United States. So that's why we're here now. We, we, now there's this thing called when, the great when you say here. You mean currently you're in Annapolis? Well, not yet. Not yet. Uh, we're in Solomon's Island at a little oh, right. marina. And then today, the boat just took off, headed for Harrington Harbor South, just north of Chesapeake Beach. And then on Monday, we sailed to, into Annapolis. So I'm pretty excited about finally getting back into doing some public presentations. It's been quite a long four-day four voyage just to get here from the last time we were doing things in Washington, D.C. Sure. So there's this boating thing called the Great Loop. 
And it goes down the inland waterways, through the Gulf of Mexico, up the East Coast, through the northern part, three or four different routes to get into the Great Lakes, around the Great Lakes, and then down the center of the country. And you can start the trip anywhere, but it makes sense to be in the fall, coming down the center of the country, wait till hurricane season is over and go around the, you know, the tip of Florida and then, you know, north in the spring. And that's kind of why we're here. And then spend the summer months in the northern latitudes where you don't want to be when it's frozen. Well, so given that, nobody ever starts the Great Loop in Minneapolis, but that's what we did. We have a really great chapter of Veterans for Peace there, and they begged us to come. I said no three times, but finally they convinced me that we could start in Minneapolis. So that's where we took the Golden Rule on a truck and went down the Mississippi River. Um, And then we were going to go down the whole Mississippi River, but there was a drought. So we had to divert over into the Ohio and Tennessee and Tom Bigby systems the normal way down the center of the country and came out in the Gulf of Mexico. And then when we got to the tip of Florida, we decided to go to Cuba. So we did that. And then, you know, had a whole lot of great stops on our way north. Now we're stopping at 100 plus cities and towns along the way. So it's a pretty ambitious project here for this year that we're doing this. And go ahead. If I remember correctly, you can sort of follow the Golden Rules Voyage on your website, right? Right. So if you go to vfpgoldenrule.org, you'll find a link to a a satellite tracker that we always keep on. And there's a new dot that goes on the map every 10 minutes. So if you're waiting in some city and you want to know where where the Golden Rule is and think about when we're coming in so you can be at the dock to meet her, that's where you'll go. And also on our website is the map of the Great Loop and our schedule of stops. And then we always put the next town or two or three on the website so you know what the events are that are planned. So you can just go to vfpgoldenrule.org for that. We had a really interesting time in Washington, D.C. Our only time probably ever that the Golden Rule will be in our nation's capital. And the Veterans for Peace Nuclear Abolition Working Group put together their own nuclear posture review. Now, each administration for the last, you know, 30 or 40 years has put together a nuclear posture review that's usually written by the Pentagon. And they usually say things like, we will use nuclear weapons first. We will use them against countries that use biological and chemical weapons. We'll use them in response to cyber warfare. We'll use them to defend other countries, not our own. And we'll use nukes to, oh man, to, to protect resources in other people's countries. So oil, minerals, things like that. If we think we can't get what we want, we're going to nuke them or we'll threaten to nuke them. And, you know, so it's a very aggressive nuclear posture that the president usually puts out. But the Veterans for Peace nuclear posture review is one of more full spectrum cooperation and diplomacy to figure out what it is that other countries need so we we take a less America-centric point of view in order to figure out how everybody can have a safer life. And so, 
you know, that. In, so what we did, we analyzed the U.S. relationship with all the other nuclear countries and Iran and put that into this nuclear posture reviews with some recommendations. And so we went and we went to every single office in the House of Representatives and, and the Senate and we passed out our nuclear posture review and we're going to follow up with all of their defense aides and see if we can get some traction in some of the bills that we're supporting, like HRES 77, produced by Representative Jim McGovern, calls for the United States to sign the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons and some other measures that will keep us safe in the meantime before we end up disarming. And so, you know, we've got a nice, clear ask about what it is we're trying to support. The United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons is now in force. So they are now internationally illegal, as are cluster bombs, landmines, chemical weapons, and biological weapons. Now, the nuclear armed countries haven't signed it yet, but it's a tool that we can use to shame the nuclear armed countries into signing if, if NATO countries start signing it, then that becomes a big deal. The United States has nuclear weapons in five NATO countries in Europe, and that's against the treaty, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. So, you know, we've been breaking in our treaties for forever in this country, and that's just another one of them. From the standpoint of Don't Shop on Tuesday, you know, Don't Shop on Tuesday supports issues supported by a supermajority of individuals. And when I was doing some research in the background for this interview, I found that in the United States, where the public was polled in September 2019, so this was even a couple of years ago or four years ago, about the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, only 32% actually expressed disapproval of that treaty. So that's not a lot of people that are actually opposing the treaty of, you know, from the public of Americans. And in a 20, I know that you had also mentioned when we had like talked about this interview ahead of time, you'd also mentioned nuclear energy. And I had also found that in a 2016 poll, so again, quite a bit ago, for the first time in American history, a majority, though not yet a supermajority of Americans opposed nuclear energy with 54% saying that they opposed nuclear energy. So it seems like we're gaining traction on, you know, again, a majority and and potentially even, you know, super majority of people opposing both nuclear weapons and nuclear energy. Thank you for that. I think that it's a large part a product of propaganda and lack of education for those 30 some percent that still support nuclear weapons and and nuclear energy. The propaganda for that has increased wildly as the funding for that has increased do you know why nuclear energy exists? I, please, like, I, I'm not very educated on this, so I would love to hear the Most background. people aren't. Well, yeah. you can't produce a nuclear bomb without a nuclear power plant. Why? That makes sense. Because the, in, the core of nuclear bombs contain both tritium, which is heavy water, and they contain plutonium, which is heavier than uranium. These two components don't exist. Well, tritium only exists a tiny, tiny amount in nature, and plutonium doesn't exist on this planet. So you can't make a bomb without 
nuclear energy. And that was the thing. So they created this propaganda campaign in the 1950s, Atoms for Peace. How can we have a peaceful use of nuclear anything? And so that helped to build up the whole nuclear industry. And starting in about 1970, most of the uranium that was mined in the United States, instead of being mined for bombs, was being mined for nuclear fuel rods. But there's a whole slew of reasons why even the newer, not yet in existence, nuclear power plants shouldn't be built. For one thing, they're not a solution to climate change. It's too little too late. Nuclear power plants are a very complex, expensive, carbon-producing way to boil water. Boil water. That's what they do. They produce steam to turn a turbine just like they do for hydroelectric power. And, you know, it's, it's just insane. So it's the only reason that they're keeping that industry alive is so that they can make more nuclear weapons. And so they have engineers and technicians that are trained in this in this technology so it's it's and not and not to mention the waste right there's no place to put it there's a big attempt to open an interim storage facility in texas and that's probably going to be a permanent storage facility and that interim nuclear storage facility would then start receiving truckloads shipments and rail cars from all around the United States of nuclear fuel rods. And it's a crazy idea. New Mexico just said no, though there's one proposed for, there's two proposed on the New Mexico-Texas border, one in New Mexico, one in Texas. And Texas might say yes. And what we call that whole system is mobile Chernobyl. And that's because you're taking fuel rods out of the places where, where they've been stored and you're putting them on a truck or through the waterways or on a rail car and taking them, you know, it's, it's a huge number of these things stored all over the country. And it's, it's just a crazy idea. There's accidents that happen on our roads and on our seas and our railways all the time. And even if there's no nuclear explosion, as in a critical mass you know, comes together and causes that kind of explosion. It's like a dirty bomb. And plutonium is the most toxic substance that we know. A tiny, tiny amount is so chemically toxic that it will kill you. So you, we can't be releasing this into the environment. And since so-called spent nuclear fuel rods contain plutonium, these dirty bombs can kill a lot of people. And of course, then it goes into the soil and the water and the air and spreads. And it's not just people, of course, will be destroying the rest of the environment while we do it. So I think it's a pretty crazy idea to, to continue to make more and more nuclear waste. Yeah, thanks so much for educating me about that. Because of course, some of the propaganda, as you had mentioned, was that it, it has been framed as a sort of green alternative. And that is something that I have also been, you know, told. And it's interesting that you mention, you know, that it has sort of been, um, you know, it's it goes hand in hand with nuclear weapons. So I actually, this is sort of a little bit of a turn in the conversation, but 
I I'm a member of a Buddhist organization called Sokogakai International. I'm going to interrupt myself for a second just to include some more background into Sokogakai International. Sokogakai International is a lay Buddhist organization that follows the Nichiren Buddhist tradition, which is a Japanese Buddhist sect. The practice that people practice in the organization is chanting the phrase Namyoho Renge Kyo, which affirms that the Buddhahood exists in each individual. And this organization opposes nuclear weapons and does a lot of anti-nuclear weapons painting and such. And as part of this, in college, when I was an undergrad, I brought an exhibit from the organization to my university that talked a lot about opposing nuclear weapons. And I remember reaching out to one of the professors at my university because I think we had a an opportunity to like talk to uh, you know professors who work in nuclear energy basically and i remember you know reaching out to this one professor just to see would you be willing to talk on this subject because it seems to you know really interrelate and i remember kind of being blown off by this professor probably because again because of this complex relationship and so uh, this i wanted to sort of transition the conversation because tying in buddhism now with you had mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that this this movement was originally founded by Quakers. Yeah. And so, you know, given that Quakers have been pushing for this nuclear disarmament and have carried the beginning of this movement and my background sort of from the this Buddhist movement that is, you know, very humanistic. And now I I also want to say clarify for those who are tuning in that Don't Shop on Tuesday is not non non-religious it's open to whoever wants to be part of this you know growing movement to sort of like take back our democracy so to speak but there is an interfaith component that i'm also hearing that can really bring people together both you know within the golden rule movement and the broader movement for nuclear disarmament so i was curious about if there if you see personally in the golden rule like what you've been doing in your activism how interfaith might play a role. We interact with people of faith all the time. And we like to point out when we're with like Catholic workers and other Catholics that the the Vatican was the first city or the first city state to ratify the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So all the Catholics should be on board. And then there's, as you say, at least Soka Gakkai for the Buddhists, but there are you know, all of the faiths really should be supporting nuclear disarmament because they all have the golden rule, which could be stated, don't bomb others as you wouldn't want others to bomb you. <laughs> I like that. So I think that our culture of war and aggression towards other countries needs to stop. We need to start listening to what other countries need we need to get our diplomatic core refilled. There's, you know, it's been stripped of most of its authority and its use. So we need to get diplomats involved again. And we need to stop thinking that what we need to do is every time there's some kind of conflict, we bring out the big stick. We say, oh, well, we've got nuclear weapons. You have to do what we say. And I think that other countries are starting to get tired of that. And, you know, in as far as democracy is concerned, 
it's not just within the United States that you've got the majority of people wanting to get rid of nuclear weapons. When the language of the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons was passed on July 7th, 2017, 122 countries out of the 195, I think it is, voted yes. So the vast majority of countries, especially in the global south, want the global north to disarm. And the global south, by the way, is completely covered with five nuclear weapons-free zones. The first was Latin America and the Caribbean, and that's also the strongest treaty. So you can't have nuclear weapons in the global south. Interesting, huh? No, that's really amazing. And it's great to see people coming together, both like in terms of diverse faiths and also across countries, across borders. So thank you for that. And something that you had also said, you know, before we actually did the interview when we were talking before was hope and action together. And that really stuck with me. You know, something that the Golden Rule Ship is doing and something that I hope that Don't Shop on Tuesday is doing is giving hope to people. But it's also doing an action because you can't just have hope. That was something that you said is like hope does hope is good, but you also have to do something with that hope. And so I wanted to just thank you for everything that you're doing with your movement, because it does inspire me. And I hope that it's inspiring those who are tuning in to have hope and to also want to take action based on that hope. Well, Um, there's a lot of different actions that people can do. For example, Don't bank on the bomb is a way to interfere in shareholders' meetings of nuclear weapons-producing companies to let the shareholders know what's going on and say, do you really want your money to be used for this? Do you really want the employees of this country to be doing this kind of work when they really should be doing life-affirming work instead of life-destroying work? We can talk to the employees at nuclear weapons producing countries. We can talk to the researchers at the national laboratories that are developing new nuclear weapons. We can talk to the banks. We can boycott the banks. We can take our money. We can divest from support financially supporting nuclear weapons producing companies. There's a, a big movement for that right now. You can go to don'tbankonthebomb.org and get a list of banks that you could divest from and encourage all those huge pension funds that control so much of the nation's wealth. You can try and talk them out of investing in companies that produce nuclear weapons. And folks can join activists and groups all over the country who come together every week to show unity and economic heft by not shopping on Tuesday. So that's a huge tool we can use in addition to the legislative approach and what we do, which is the educational approach. When people understand about nuclear weapons and nuclear power, they know more that that they can take actions that can help. But even if they don't take direct action, even if they educate other people, their friends and neighbors and and people they go to church with, whatever, their family, then they, they spread the word that we can get rid of nuclear weapons, we can get rid of nuclear energy and still survive in basically similar lifestyle to what we have today. And so, yeah, there's a lot of actions that can be taken. 
I think every time somebody starts their own garden, then they're, you know, saying no to factory farming. Every right. time you you start your own chicken shed, right? Then you're saying no to factory chickens. You know, putting up solar, you're saying no to carbon and nuclear-based energy sources. So there's a lot you can do just as an individual, let alone what you can do as a community. And one of the things we do when we head into a city is in the mayoral proclamations, often there's a huge statement about the need to get rid of nuclear weapons. And sometimes there's a resolution trying to urge the federal government to ratify the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. And so it's a it's a huge deal what we can do as communities. Get your city council to pass these resolutions. Go on our website, vfpgoldenrule.org, to learn what's a good wording for a resolution. What are some examples that have been done? The whole island of Oahu, where Honolulu is, passed a really great one while the golden rule was there. So we're having an impact. So far, none of the government agencies have pushed back against us. I think everybody wants to get rid of nuclear weapons. This is all great, amazing information, and it will all be also included in our show notes. So for those who are tuning in, we'll include all of these links and information. And I just wanted to end on some really important news for those who are local to Baltimore, because this will be this will be being released right before you all are about to sail into Baltimore, Maryland, which is, you know, where I'm currently at. And I wanted to make it all known and let people know that you folks are going to be there. So if you are local to Baltimore, Maryland on and correct me if I'm wrong, Helen, you folks are going to be there on April 27th. Yes, there's some community events happening that you can just go on our website, vfpgoldenrule.org, and take a look at the places we're going to be where you can interact with us. And we'll be posting some daytime visits to the boat as soon as we figure out where we're going to dock during the day. You can't really get to the, the nighttime dock and be on there very well. So we're looking for a place where we can move the boat daily and give tours of the Golden Rule. Amazing. Well, I'm really looking forward to actually seeing the boat in person myself. So in two days through, you said May 4th, right? Yeah. Um, please go if you're local to Baltimore. Please go see these folks support their mission. And thank you so much, Helen, for being here on the Don't Shop on Tuesday podcast. Really appreciate everything that you're doing. Well, you know, Maxwell, I really appreciate what you're doing because I know that there are a lot of things that the people believe and want that for some reason our governments are not giving us. And I think it has to do with our our financial system. And I think it has to do with profit above the workers and above the above nature. It's got to do with just lining people's pockets with money, the shareholders. So I, I think that what you're doing is really important. And I really thank you for doing this don't Shop on Tuesdays podcast and working towards real democracy, which has nothing necessarily to do with voting, because we don't even get to choose who we can vote for. 100%. And with that, thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, Don't Shop on Tuesday. 
If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at don'tshopontuesday at gmail.com. You can find out more about the movement at don'tshopontuesday.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash don'tshopontuesday. And you can follow our Instagram at don't shop on Tuesday. You know, it's really hard to find polls on how many people exactly oppose nuclear annihilation, but I would say it's a pretty good bet that a supermajority of people probably oppose being annihilated by nuclear weapons.